0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Books and the Biz. I'm Rich Veltry, and I'm here having a uh, conversation with my buddy, Dan Paulson. Hey, Dan, how are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you, Rich. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, So... I'm starting off today because I had this uh, conversation this morning with someone and it led me to remember our five questions about when we were doing a, uh, an exit strategy. We were talking about people who are you know, looking to prepare their business for a transition and we had five questions. And one of those questions had to do with the strategic versus the financial buyer. I remember and, that question.
1: I remember yeah. not knowing a lot about that question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, I think it becomes a very interesting question, and something maybe we should talk about today, just because um, it's it is exactly that people don't necessarily know the difference between the two um, and why it's important. So, I think maybe we should explore that a little bit in the conversation. Um, you know, and I think just quick definition. I think we did this in one of our other episodes, but the strategic buyer is someone who's looking at your business from a standpoint of a vertical or horizontal move for them. So in other words, it's maybe one of your suppliers that wants to get into your neck of the woods mm-hmm. or, your, or your line of business. Or it's someone who's already in your line of business and just wants to see if they can make it bigger by bringing you into their, you know, to their fold. Um, and the financial buyer is purely an investor. They're purely coming into it from I'm going to put money in, <clears throat> and um, when I put money in, I'm expecting a return on that money. I'm expecting it to go to work for me. Um, so the financial buyer has a little bit different perspective when they look at your business. Um, is that your understanding, Dan? Do you do you agree with that? I mean, yeah, is that
1: a, yeah, I do. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. So from the operation side, often you know, with the questions that we we've talked about in the past, what I really get is, I'll call it degree of frustration. So how frustrated the owner is or how tired the owner is determines how they want to step back in their business. And for me, so then looking at these two options, really, in my world, kind of depends on how much involvement that that owner expects to have as the sale is going through or, or beyond the sale. Uh, so when I look at things, I'm looking at how, how much does this owner want to do? Do they want to be involved for a couple of years and kind of wean themselves out of the business or are they just done? You know, whatever might be hiring or whatever they just, they want out, in which case they want a quick sale and they want to disappear. Um, maybe you can explain which one of these is better for which option. And, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about that. But yep. I'm guessing there's there's quite a few people that are going to want to to step back in their business because I know my clientele, I'm watching their ages climb and and you know they're definitely getting to the point where where it's, <laughs> they're calling it quits. Let's put it that
0: way. That's a, and that's a great point because there are statistics out there at this point that are basically saying that 51% of all businesses in the United States are owned by baby boomers, and those baby boomers are looking to transition out of their businesses over the course of the next 10 years. But I think that stat actually was 10 years from the year 2019. So we're already in sort of the middle of this. yeah. And I believe the, the SBA said it was something like 10 million businesses that were going to change hands. So I think that's why this is such a popular topic that people are starting to get to the point where the baby boomers were the big, you know that was the big population that is now headed towards retirement. So you've got 10 million businesses that are looking for, well, what's our next step? What's our, what's our next play? And so um, it's very important, I think, for people to realize that you know there is a big difference between a strategic and a financial buyer. And one of the big ones is not necessarily price. One of them is sort of this legacy of what happens after the owner is out, whether the owner was really immersed in the business or just was the main salesman of the business, Um, you know, what happens after that? What happens to the people that are in the business? Um, One of the key things in, in, in reading about this stuff and looking at these things as we went through our last podcast where we were talking about the five questions, you know, I looked at it from a standpoint of, okay, there might be some price differences because a private equity firm, which would be considered a financial buyer, would clearly have funds that they want to put into the business and they might not necessarily care how you run the business going forward. I I take that back because I really came out (laughs) wrong. Okay, they 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 necessarily put more of the stock in the people that are already there. Yeah. Okay. they basically invest in the management. So they might be willing to put more funds in or increase the value because they see management's going to be able to take that money and build it to something bigger. Um, Strategic buyer already has their own infrastructure in place. They already have their own management in place. So if they come and take yours, okay, if they come and buy your business, what do they do with your management? What do they do with your management team (laughs) who have been loyal to you to that point? You know, will they be able to have a job going forward after? Because in a transaction like that, you know, they already have, you know, a robust management team. They may not have a need for a second one.
1: Yeah. I often see they let people go. They clean house. If they have really good talent, they might find a way to integrate them, you know, into the corporate structure. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. If there's redundancy there, usually again, the people on the outside will continue to be on the outside.
0: Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that really kind of struck me in in doing some reading for this particular topic, um, the other thing that was interesting to me was, you know, beware of the private equity firm that's disguised as a strategic buyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because if they're if they're particularly interested in a single industry, they have honed their management team to really focus on what they want out of that industry. So you almost have to make sure you understand what are the motivations of the people who are looking to buy you. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing that struck me was um, from the financial standpoint, a lot of times you have to realize that a financial buyer doesn't necessarily hold on to you for very long. And then they may sell you to another financial buyer Mm -hmm. until you get to a size point where they look for a strategic buyer. (laughs) So, (laughs) so the timeline comes into play that, you know, They might, you know, it's almost like eventually you should expect that someone's going to want to put this to a strategic buyer. Um, It's funny when I read that, too, because I had a client that was backed by private equity, sold to another private equity firm. Then they sold again to another private equity firm. And when I read this article, I said, you know, they're probably on that point now. They were in orthopedic shoes. Mm -hmm. I have to wonder, are they looking for a shoe company, you know, a big one to acquire them? And it's – so this is interesting because
1: I was actually having a conversation with a client yesterday, and maybe we can talk about this in here somewhere too. Um, So this is in the dental industry, and right now there is a lot of consolidation going on amongst the dental practices. So for most part, for years, dental practices have primarily been – uh, solo practice, maybe a couple of offices, couple associates type thing. Um, we're seeing a lot of DSOs, dental service organizations. I believe that's what, what that stands for. Um, right. Come in and scoop up all these practices. <laughs> and what's interesting is a lot of these individual practices aren't producing after they get gobbled up into the conglomerate, if you will. Um, so I think one of the things we also have to talk about related to this is legacy. What's the legacy you want for your business and and which of these choices provides the best legacy for for your company ongoing and and really kind of what I'm hearing from you is ultimately one bleeds into the other. Uh, how far after the sale is really, I think, relevant on, again, profitability and growth and things like that. But right. um, ultimately, it seems like one rolls into the next eventually. Yeah.
0: I, uh, interesting, the DSO concept. Um, I have a client that uh, had done exactly that. They built the DSO. And interestingly enough, I would tell you that they are a, a success factor. I would not label them as a success because of financial. I would label them. I would label them as success because the first thing that they've said is, when we got together to do this, we focused exactly on patient care, not on financials. They focused on patient care. So and that doesn't seem to be patient, the norm. One of those, one of those things where you know you hear people say, you know, focus on what you're doing and the money will follow. Yep. Um, and I think that's pretty much a key for the DSO side. You know, you really have to do that. You have to focus on what you're doing and then the money will follow. I'm curious. So
1: in a lot of this discussion, is what we're talking about here is outright sale to somebody else. How, I guess I'm going to ask this question, how does this factor in, say, if the owner wants to sell to an employee or a group of employees, which, which bucket does this fall into? Is this a financial buyer?
0: I think it's strategic strategic okay i i would i would label it as strategic now somebody could call me up and say nope you're wrong okay <laughs> but tell me why but yep. you know financial is you know in my eyes anyway the financial is more along the lines of um i have money to invest and i need to park it somewhere and have it make more money got it you know and I, and i can't help it but i laugh i know i'm i'm, I'm promoting Shark Tank here, but I used to watch (laughs) Shark Tank a lot because the the guys would make me laugh. But, you know, um, they basically would tell you, I need to make my money work for me. Right. And so I lean towards anybody who's following that side of it. You know, I lean towards it being a financial investor, financial buyer. Um, strategic though, seems to make sense. Like strategic really puts you in the driver's seat of, I'm going to sell it to my employee. I'm going to stay on for three years and I'll groom that employee to do the way that I've done it for 20 years or so that I've owned the business. Um, and so I see that as strategic. I see that as, you know, leaning towards your comment about legacy. You know, you can almost have some control over what's going to happen after you've exited. Because you've groomed someone to do it the way you want them to do it. Eventually, they'll do it their way, you know, but in the beginning, (laughs) at least, they're going to follow you. And that's probably also the option
1: where if the owner wants to stick around for, we'll say, three to five years, Mm -hmm. um, more or less as an advisor or a consultant, that seems to be the common Method is they step back, but they're still still there to ask questions, still there to share history, all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems like a better fit than just a a financial where more than likely uh, at least what I see is you're paid for about a year and then you're you're pretty much done or they decide if they want to keep you on
0: after that. Yeah, I think um, there's definitely more intricacies um, to to that. Kind of model setup. Um, I'll give you an example. Some of the examples of you know who would be a financial buyer. One of them is the a search fund, and a search fund is a <coughs> a very specific um, model that goes with a recent business school graduate wants to go into buying a business, and they look around and they search for a business to buy. And they either get backers or they use the SBA, um, the 7A program for loans, and they would buy, borrow from the SBA to buy the business. Mm. Um, SBA has very specific rules about how long an owner can stay in the business. Okay. And it used to be one year. I think they've extended it now to two. But um, that one year um, requirement would be you know, what you're seeing. You know, so I'm curious if that was who your buyer was. If they used SBA funds, there might have been a requirement that the owner could only stay for so long. It's very possible. What I often hear, the reason
1: for keeping the owner around is, again, there. The, there's still a lot of connectivity, even if the owner has a good leadership team on how the business works and all the the little details that you don't know because – you know the owners actively involved in the business for however many years uh keeping that knowledge base internal or, or around is very helpful i've also heard in some other situations where part of the reason for keeping the owner on is to prevent some sort of non-compete so you know yeah. again they have a lot of knowledge are they going to leave the company and go start another business especially if they uh and i've had this happen or i've heard this happen where the owner sells the business and then they don't like the way the person treats the business. So they go start their company all over again.
0: Right. Yeah. um, I've always heard also, I mean, I've always been a little bit torn because people are always like, Oh, you know, um, get the owner out, you know, as soon as you can, like keep it as the short as possible so that the company becomes yours. So while I understand that, while I somewhat agree with that, I've always told myself the CEO of a company is always the company's biggest salesperson. Right. So the biggest fear for me is always, okay, so I rush that person out, but the relationship could go with it. So, so this is a balancing act, you know, you're walking a fence.
1: I guess, you know, as I'm listening to all this, how do we help a an owner figure out what's the best move here? Um, you know, from an operational side, I kind of alluded to it earlier on where when I'm talking with the owner, I'm trying to figure out their degree of stress with where they're at in their business. Are they completely frustrated to the point where they don't want to do this anymore? They're burnt out. Um, Or is there some... This is often where the question of legacy comes in. What do you want this business to become? Is it going to stay ABC company or do you not care if it's ABC company anymore? And I've had owners change from one to the next. So, you know, in one moment it's like, yes, this is going to be my, you know, I want my name on the company after the sale. And then after stresses and trials and tribulations, all of a sudden it's like, Nope, just give me the money. I want out.
0: Yeah. I think that's what I've seen too. I think it's a, it's a combination of, um, you know, legacies of peace, but usually I see, um, the financial or the need you know are you in are you at a point where you need to sell Mm -hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean a financial need it could be a family need it could be a a, you know something else that comes along that says you have to do something and it kind of forces you out there Mm
1: -hmm. um
0: i think otherwise you know i've seen it where it is just purely financial um but i think there's a loyalty factor. I don't know if I can put loyalty under legacy. I think legacy is you're right. I want my name on the building. I want to always have my name on the building. I want to forever be on that building, you know? Um, but I think there's a loyalty part too. You've had people that have worked for you for a very long time, potentially. And what do you do if you have to get out for a need or something else financial, Or can you just list the business and say, look, I'm looking to retire because I'm a baby boomer and I've got five more years in me, you know, let's list it and see what happens. Um, And I think at that point, understanding the difference between strategic and financial will decide what you, um, what you, what you can achieve, like what can you, what you can get out of what you want. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think the more time you have, the more selective you can be. the The shorter the need, then it becomes a little harder because you're going to have to look around and see, well, what's out there. Right. Um, you know, and there's there's also, and I don't, I don't want to jump too far to to the left or the right here, but um, you know, sometimes faster is better. <laughs> Um, the slow, the slow buy or the partial buy, you know, some of these some of these financial buyers might only want to make an investment in your company. Right. What? You know, if they only make a 60 or 70 percent ownership investment, you're still in. But you no longer really control. You may yeah. put all the agreements you want in place that you're still in control, but they put up 70 percent of the money. You're not in control. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, there's also, I think the, the length of time too with, um, and, and this really, I don't know if it's legacy, but, uh, you know, we both kind of talked about employees and, and you mentioned, you know, you can have some employees that have been there quite a while yeah. and, what are you going to do when you sell that company or what are they going to do when you sell that company? And all of a sudden they're no longer needed. So there, there is also an option there. Um, and this is why it's important to start planning early on versus waiting till the last minute where maybe there's some equity stake where if there is a sale, they kind of get a bit of a golden parachute out of it. Um, there's different things. And this I'll point back to you again, there's there's obviously other things you can probably structure financially where in that sale that there is going to be some sort of soft landing that you can provide for your staff.
0: If you really value who they are. That's what the shoe company did on yep. the, When they, when they went and they had the original, the original private equity firm, none of the key employees had bonus slash equity stakes. When they sold to the next one in order to get those people to hang on until the next sale, they were given ownership stakes. And when they went to the next sale, all these, all these guys said, you know, keep working to get this sale done because we're going to get the payday after this one. Right. And so, you know, pretty much knowing by that point, they're in sort of that second stage of, of uh, you know, the, the private equity buyer journey. And so they knew when they got to that one, there was less likely that they were going to have a continuing job after the transaction. So, you know, I believe that's what happened. I wasn't there anymore when (laughs) the second one happened, but um, I'd be interested. I would probably have to go back and find out. How did you guys make out in that one?
1: Well, either way, it's just a sign that there are different ways you even have to look at a financial versus strategic Mm -hmm. sales structure. um, And you have to plan for uh, what could, could eventually come out of that. And the biggest risk you have is having your talent walk out the door out of fear of change.
0: Yeah. Based on all this information, what's your take?
1: Well, my take continues to be that we really need to make sure, um, or an owner needs to make sure, we obviously, if we're helping them out, but an owner needs to really look ahead and make a decision on what they're going to do with their business. And you know, when we looked at those initial five questions, the last question we asked is what do you wanna do? And to me, you know, we're talking about this question here and we brought up a number of different scenarios that you really need to look at, which is why we left the last question as, what do you wanna do? Because I believe the, the strategic versus financial approach is going to really vary after you, you assess all the different variables that are in place. And like any buying decision, you should be at this point, you know, looking at each side and trying to decide which one's going to be the best fit for you. And then as you're getting to that, that final question, you have it laid out as to what you have in your
0: mind is going to be the best choice to make. I agree with that. And I think that um, my biggest takeaway is the stress on the timeline, you know, the you definitely have to get started as early as possible. Again, at least letting it start out as an idea and put it down on paper, get it down that this is the direction that I think I want to go in. This is what I think I have to do to get there. Um, Again, if they're going to be looking at bringing in a, a financial buyer, financial buyer is very interested in your infrastructure, strategic buyer, not so much. So again, you have to decide which of those things are affecting your decision to go one way or the other. And then what can you do to improve based on what you think you're going to wind up with? So if you know they're going to be investing in your infrastructure, beef up your infrastructure, take the yeah. time to do that, it improves your value. So that's sort of my, um, my kind of key takeaway.
1: On and this that's part. really where having a third party come in and, and do an analysis and figure out what might be the best fit so you get a good educated choice of
0: of what to make sounds good so that wraps us up i think i think this is a good stopping point so i think dan if uh, if people have questions obviously they could always call us or reach out to us and dan how should they reach out to you
1: well, they can get a hold of me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. I've got all sorts of ways you can get a hold of me there, including a form you can just fill out and send me the information. I can get back to you on that. Rich, how about you? Uh,
0: you could send me an email at rveltry at com, or go to the contact us page on com, And there is a way you can actually book a time for us to have an introductory chat.
1: So feel Excellent. free to reach out. And also, I believe we're going to be talking about some of the other questions coming up in the future. So this is a good reminder to like, subscribe, set your notifications. Um, You can definitely visit our podcast page at booksandbiz.com. That is books, B-O-O-K-S, the letter N-B-I-Z dot com. And that's how you can find us.
0: Sounds great. And until next week, have a good one. You too, Rich. Take care. All right. Take care.